Hello there, and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Today's visitor to the island is an Armagh man whose name will forever be linked with one of the county's greatest days. He was an all-star footballer for the county for many years, but when he became manager of the Armagh team, he was to bring them their greatest day, leading them to their only All-Ireland final success in history on a remarkable day in September 2002. It's a pleasure to welcome Joe Kernan. And Joe, you grew up in Cross Glen, and you know, I hadn't really thought about it much, but that, that was a very dark, dreadful time. Many people would say, what are your memories of your childhood growing up in Cross Glen? It just seemed that everything was all right one day and then all of a sudden things changed very, very quickly. That lasted for 20-something years. But the one thing the kept us all saying, I suppose, throughout the whole of the country, everything was sport, and we were so lucky to have a club uh, beside us here, and uh, it saved a lot of people from going the wrong way, maybe, or getting involved uh, in certain things, and a lot of young people in the village, and, and, and out of saving people, we turned it into success, which uh, made it twice as sweet. And we'll chat about that success. I mean, Cross McGlynn had extraordinary success. But for younger people might remember, Cross McGlynn became a landmark in that the GA pitch had the army base built beside it. The helicopters were taken off as you were playing games, etc. Can you remember when the British Army came in? Yeah, yeah. They, like the, the, the barracks all of a sudden we had this big construction of steel uh, sitting in, in uh, at the back of the goals in the town end and every day we had a match the helicopters come in and out non-stop I suppose it was for safety that if there was matches on they would have felt that it was safe to take the helicopters in and out but uh, if the ball went over the bar or went wide and went into the barracks you never got it back or you got it back with a hole in it so uh, we kept on needles in business for years obviously with all the balls we needed yes <laughs> But but underneath all that black humour, like I mean, the tension between the army and locals must have been intense. Well, at the start, it sort of started out all right. They were coming in, the so-called protectors, but uh, very shortly you found it wasn't protection. It was scrutiny and 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 you know road br- checkpoints and the football club took an awful lot of that. You know, and, and even in the history books to tell you that they thought every club in Ireland was was full of IRA men planning bombs and shootings, which is yeah. totally wrong. You know, I mean, we were a football club. Uh, I, I can guarantee you that uh, anybody that I knew in the club never was involved in anything. We were totally involved in sport all our life and, and we dedicated ourselves to sport and our children and our parents before us. So uh, they got the wrong idea and, and certainly that didn't help the, the British Army's case in, in, in the fact that we're blaming everybody for, uh, for what was going on. But uh, we do come from a part of the world where people are, are fanatical and, and were loyal and didn't like what was happening. It was tough times, but as I said, and I, all the time that sport kept us all saying, and the fact we were able to go to the field uh, gave us some hope. And I often think a lot of people in the South never fully appreciated the problems it was. Even, say, in the 70s, and you had success as a player with Armagh, 
But even going to training, etc., and checkpoints and all that. Every time you left the house to go anywhere, if you were stopped and they seen a football bag in the car, it was out boot and bonnet. That was the that was the saying. And they'd have you out and let it be the pouring rain. They'd sit in the back of the jeep and they'd look across at you and laugh and just keep you sitting there for an hour or so and let you away. But I had a, a, a fairly scary experience. We used to train down in Lurgan. And uh, it was around 1980, probably. I, I unfortunately was coming home on my own from Logan, and a car tracked me from outside Porty Down, and it wasn't until I got near Newton Hamilton, which is about 15 miles away, through bad roads, uh, that, that I lost, I got rid of the car, or the car stopped. And I, I, I still say to this day that if, I had, if that car had a... Had a overtake me I would have been in trouble and we told the county board that night and we, we abandoned training in Lurgan and we, we trained the Lurgan people trained in Lurgan the Armagh players trained in Armagh and we in South Armagh trained over in Campbell outside Newry that's how scary it become and for safety reasons we had to do that but every time you were stopped it was boot and bonnet At the time did you feel it wasn't fully appreciated and understood by people in the South? Oh without a shadow of a doubt and even to this day people wouldn't understand what we actually went through a lot of people in the south probably haven't come north yet. I know relations of my own way over in Galway. Some of them have never been in the north of Ireland. You know, and, and, and that's just a stigma that come. But that was the good thing about Cross Midland. You know, the, the fact that Cross Midland, and I have a lot of good Protestant friends in Northern Ireland who, who followed Cross and appreciated what we'd done, people really understood what our village was about. We were a small community that supported our club and become su- successful, and everybody outside seen that we were just normal people like everybody else in another village, except we had the most successful club in the country for 20 years there. And that that helped a lot in breaking down the, the barriers or, or the, the the ideas or the propaganda that was put out about us that we weren't what they thought, you know, were yeah. far better than that. But you would have lost, as a young man, you would have known a lot of people who died, which most of us wouldn't experience, you know. Oh, without a doubt. You know what I mean? You've seen a lot of things that, that scared you. You were horrified with, you know, on, on, on both sides. And, you know, we had a very young family here, myself and Patricia, and all our kids were very young. And we were actually thinking of moving south at one stage because we were, we were getting afraid for our own kids for safety. Uh, we were actually thinking of moving to Castle Blaney. Uh, Castle Blaney would have been very happy with that, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, we, we made the right decision and we we saw it out and, and sure things couldn't be better. Thank God we have yeah. we had five great sons and and they've all played and they've had wonderful times and there's four of them here with us at the moment. Paul Paul's the only one. The rest are all working beside us here in the family, different businesses and and Paul's in Australia, which it's a pity, but. And, uh, he's happy there so your first musical choice Joe Kernan Dean Martin I like it uh, it lasts a wine or two and uh, I love the old crooner Sinatra and and, and, and Dean so uh, uh, little old wine drinking me was all, uh, has always been a favourite especially when I'd go out to Spain on holidays I'd put the DVD on and, uh, and play a selection of Dean Martin but little old wine drinking me has always been a favourite Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1 that's Dean Martin, the choice of today's guest, former Armagh footballer and manager Joe Kernan. Joe, as a player, we mentioned training wasn't easy, etc. But uh, Armagh had good times in your in your days. You won two All Stars and you got to an All Ireland final, a couple of semi finals. Yeah, we come we come a long way from uh, when I started off in seventy one. In seventy seven, we got on a bit of a run and. 
We had a miraculous recovery in the first round against Cavan in Armagh. We were 10 points down at half time and won by a pint. So we scored 11 points to get back and win the game. And I think Cavan only scored a pint or two in the second half. So that gave us an awful lift, an awful boost. The crowd were, you know, uh, supporters really got behind us. And we played Monaghan in the semi final and won by a few points. And then we met Derry, who hammered us two years in a row before that uh, in towards the final and, and beat them. And, and sure, we thought anything could happen and we had a couple of great days against Roscommon to draw the first day and narrowly win in the, sem- the second day but then we met Dublin Dublin and Kerry the two best teams in the country at that time and unfortunately over that eight or nine years they were the two teams that a lot of people couldn't beat and we lost heavily to Dublin but we learned a bit but we thought we would have been back in another final but it, it wasn't to be but being part of those days were unbelievable and we went on and won another county our Ulster title in 1980 and 83 so we finished up with three Ulster titles, which I suppose isn't bad in, in any circumstances, but we always wanted that our end. I, I remember in 77, what struck me was the colour, the passion of the Armagh support that came to Dublin. Now, you were heavily beaten, as you say, but my God, the the excitement and, and pride in the Armagh fans was extraordinary. It's unbelievable where people get tickets from, you know, but they certainly, they, they, they dug deep and, and got them and you're, you're 100% right. The Sea of Orange and the Hughes again that time uh, and, and the Canal and uh, all around the pitch there seemed to be a sea uh, in the, the David stand as we call it now. Uh, unbelievable colour and, and, and enthusiasm and, and where they got the tickets I don't know. I, I'd love to know what the real attendance was that day. <laughs> Yeah, and of course we, we we'll come to the the great days in in management subsequently. Who was the best player you played against? Well, there was a few, you know. I, I well, yeah, obviously Brian Mullins was one of the one of the best players. Probably. Jack O'Shea, Dermot Early, and Tim Keneally probably would be the top four of men I played at centre half forward or, 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 or midfield and and and. They won Everton that was going, uh, you know, Dermot Early, a, a pure gentleman and, and one of the great players probably never to win in All-Ireland, but it, it didn't take away from the ability that he had. But Brian Mullins had everything, big, strong, courageous, could could take a game, be the scruff at the neck. And then you had Jack O'Shea, such a mobile man, would get scores, would, would be in full back, full forward, just a fantastic engine. And some of the great players of all time were, were playing at that time. Your second musical choice, Joe Kernan, Highway Man. My wife Patricia works in the hospice in Yerry, which is a tough job any day. But I'd be at home a few times, a few a couple of nights a week on my own. And uh, I, I listened to a concert one time, The Highwaymen, and it, it's a mixture of one man who I always loved listening to: Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash. Will and Jennings and Chris Christopherson, four great singers in their own right, but they formed this group called the Highway Men. They were sort of known as the American Outlaws. They were characters, and there's no bigger character than Willie Nelson. But they sang this song called The Highway Man, and it's one of their best. And the four of them singing together is unbelievable. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Highway Man, uh, Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Gustafson and Johnny Cash, the choice of today's guest, former Armagh footballer and manager Joe Kernan, the man who led Cross McGlenn, his club, to extraordinary success, and then, of course, Armagh to their famous only All-Ireland title. Let's talk about the Cross McGlenn success, first of all, through the 90s. Yeah, I took over Cross in ninety. 293 and we hadn't won a county title in, in nearly 10 years which was very very bad for us it wasn't that we had great history in winning Ulster's or All-Ireland we, we won neither 
but there was a great bunch of boys come through from under 14 they won the uh, the Mosny games which it was at that time they sort of stayed together and I got them at under 21 and we, we won five under 21s in a row uh, before or the year we won uh, the All Ireland in 97 uh, we won a county title that was the first county title we played Clanny Gale from Lorgan and we, we beat them easily by about, by about 12 points but I, I watched the All Irelands in, in the years before and I, I seen Cara Finn and I seen I think it was Dublin Kilmacrod winning and I thought that if we got a team you know and all these young boys that we would have a great chance and the, the further we went actually the better we got because the confidence grew and there was ele- 11 of the Mosney team played and they were all under 21 they played in that first final in 97 against Knockmore yeah. and those boys stayed playing you know some of them have 15 county medals some of them most of them have have three or four all Ireland medals some of them five so in 20 years you know we've won six all Irelands, 11 Ulsters 21 or two we've only lost two county titles so you know an unbelievable record and that those boys stayed so long like Oshin McConville has them all bar one he is five John McEntee the same Paul Erty I think nearly has the six all there and so it's an unbelievable record and the longevity of a lot of those boys which shows and then Arma winning at the same time you know sometimes people think that you know oh, there's too much coming out of the club and you can't do both Arma won two horses 99 Cross were winning three all Ireland so it just shows the effort that these young boys put in and, and the commitment and, and the ability that they had. One of the greatest club stories of all time in GA. But but let's talk now about the county success and the All-Ireland of 2002. You would come in that year. I mean, and anyone of, of that age will never forget the scenes and, and what it meant. But you weren't expected to win the All-Ireland at the start of that year. Maybe some people didn't expect us to win the All-Ireland, but what they were after doing the three previous years and lost the three All-Ireland champions who won in Mead, Kerry and, and Galway, losing narrowly to all those teams. The one thing I, I that I wasn't sure of when I took over Armagh was whether they were, after losing to the three previous All-Ireland champions, Mead, Kerry and Galway, Sometimes people can just say I've had enough and I haven't got the fight in them. You know, at a very early stage, I, f- I found because listening to them, walking with them, I found out that there still was a lot of fight in these boys. And the fact that I had six, seven crossbow end players in the squad actually helped because it made it easier for getting across what I wanted to get across. And the fact that they were winners, you know, like I remember Karen McGinney saying to me one time after we beat them. In, actually in the Fianna in 2000 you know he says how do you always win in Crow Park I says we come to Crow Park to win you know there's never any doubt in any team that we went to Crow Park to, that, that we hadn't the chance of winning or didn't want to, or, or wanted to win so having that bit of belief I felt that maybe that was the only thing or, or one of the things that I needed us to get across to believe yeah. that you know you were there to win uh, and they lost so narrowly on the three occasions that it was heartbreaking for us as supporters and them as players. But once you know there's more left, then that was a good basement to start at. So yeah, you beat Dublin in a in a very famous semi final, very dramatic game. Yeah, you know my wife Patricia always says that that was the uh, most memorable game of the whole lot. That you know even more so than the final, the fact that we won it and it was one of those games we scored a goal, Cairn Whelan went down and scored down and scored a rocket into the hill. You know, 
Would the boys throw the towel in then? They didn't. It was tit for tat. And unfortunately, poor Ray Cosgrove had the chance of, of drawing level and didn't. That. But I think maybe Father Time and uh, uh, Lady Luck was with us. And, you know, you can have all the ability you want and, and all the players, but sometimes a wee bit of Lady Luck goes a long way. And I know maybe a few years after winning it, maybe Lady Luck wasn't with us, but it certainly was with us on that day. And it, it just gave us enough. And then we were in the final after after a great victory against Dublin. It was keeping the head settled, you know, refocusing again and we were where we wanted to be. Could we win it? Yes. Could we play better? Yes. All those things. So uh, it was just keeping everybody's feet on the ground and, and trying to stay away from the hype as much as we could, which was practically impossible. But we had great leaders in the team, uh, boys that were there before and, and were, were so close and they were able to keep focused and keep the, and keep the head down. Playing Kerry, of course, you know, the Kings and the biggest names you could be up against. And again, they were probably expected to beat you, but they, the buzz and the colour and the excitement. What are your memories of the game? You, you were trailing at half time. How long have we got? <laughs> I can remember every inch of it, but it all boiled down to two things. One, I think the penalty, uh, or two or three things. One, the penalty that we missed. You know, I think that maybe give Kerry a bit of a lift and maybe a wee bit of complacency. But in the couple of seconds after the penalty, uh, Dermot Marsden tackled Tomas O'Shea and won a ball onto the Husic stand side. And we got back in and got it. And Dermot actually got a point. And that was vital to coming back after missing the penalty. And then after half time, you know, we come out and, and we were a different team. We were a little bit more aggressive. We probably fought harder for the ball. You know, we got the goal at the right time. And once we got the goal, I think we were a different team. There wasn't there wasn't a ball that we didn't scrap, that we didn't win. Uh, and we put Kerry under immense pressure. And probably a wee bit of complacency maybe in, in fairness to Kerry. They've been there before, they've done that. They beat us a few couple of years before that. This team will break again. But there was, there was a wee bit more steel in them and one man coming on made a massive difference Tony McIntyre I think he only touched the ball four or five times but there were toe pokes there were palms there were flicks you know it wasn't as if he got the ball and got a great score or made a great block but his interception and he always passed the ball to an arm man and eventually when the ball broke he broke it to Kieran McGinney and the final whistle went but those 12 minutes were so long we scored the winning point 12 minutes to go and and for those twelve minutes, it was it was on the knife edge. Every attack they had, you were wondering, you were fearing. But there was one ball broke about five minutes to go in the middle of the field, and it was like a a ball of jelly. Nobody could get it. It hit elbows, it hit knees, it went up in the air, it broke back, and we won it. And I actually remember turning to the boys and I said, "I think this is our day." You know, these things don't happen unless it's meant to happen. And we fought to the very end and just did enough, enough by inches just to seal the victory and then all hell broke loose, as we all know. It meant so much and the emotion for, for our mad people, which which you were to become aware of over, over I'm sure, over a few years. Oh, yes. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. When the final whistle goes, I, I always tell the players, you know, those minute or two under normal circumstances when you win a trophy is when the players, that's the players' time. And I suppose 
uh, it's very hard to do it when you when you have a, a mad crowd coming onto the pitch and, and, and swarming you. It's such a good idea now that the GA give the players the time to be with themselves and their families or children when the final whistle goes. But those moments are for all time, those few minutes after the match, watching the players. I always told the boys, the, the biggest satisfaction ever I got in management was watching the players going up, up the steps to Crow Park. You know, that's what they worked for. That's what they dreamed of. And, and you know, and, and they had their day in the sun, which was unbelievable for them. But the pride for every young man, man and woman, and including a lot of those who were away from, from the country. Yeah, I hear a lot of, an awful lot of stories from all over the world where people were, where they watched it that time in the morning, up early in the morning in houses and... It affected so, so, so many people. You know, it, it, it's hard to believe that a team can do so much good for so many people. Yeah. Yeah, and, and certainly people who, who missed it by death and by sickness, who weren't able to be there. I spoke to a lot of families and uh, they were saying how proud they were or, you know, how disappointed that their family wasn't there, but they knew they were watching it from a different place. Yeah, yeah it's a lovely, special memory you'll always have, Joe Kerlin. And that leads us to your final musical choice. Yeah, uh, this is a song, uh, Tina Turner. In planning, coming up to the match, y- y- you plan for different things, but I plan to have a song uh, on-, on the bus, a DVD on the bus, fucking up the up the driveway. Anybody knows the City West Hotel, when you come off the motorway, the- there's a fair big driveway, so we slipped down the... Uh, only myself and Eamon Michael knew it, uh, my, one of my right-hand men on, on the bus, <clears throat> and we slipped it on going down the driveway. Well, I tell you what, you know, I remember the match, I remember the, fi- the final whistle, but those three or four minutes listening to, to, to Tina Turner rocking out, uh, simply the best. And we arrived at the hotel, and there was thousands outside and thousands inside, but we stayed on, on the bus, and all the players sang, and the noise, and the, the place was going mad, but... Uh, we didn't get off the bus until uh, she was finished singing, which was an unbelievable. And it's one of those moments. If you asked any of the boys uh, coming uh, heading into City West, that's what they'll tell you. It's a brilliant image, Joe Kernan. Been a pleasure chatting with you as ever. Thank you so much. We're going to play out with Tina Turner and simply the best. Cheers, Joe. Thank you. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio One.